0: please turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to continue our study through this book, this letter written to Christians who are under extreme persecution, under extreme pressure to give up their faith, and I don't know what your life's like, but you might be in that very situation where you are being pressurised to give up your faith, where people come against you because you're a believer. They belittle you because you're a believer. God's Word comes to you this morning. Stand strong. Get your strength from Him. Stay in His Word. And may the Word change you so that you can stand strong and glorify Him in your situation that He's put you. So let's look at these words that the Apostle Peter wrote to these believers to strengthen them. And let's see what God is saying to us this morning. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 13 to 16. 1 Peter 1 verses 13 to 16. Therefore, says the Apostle, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behaviour. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I see a lot of students sitting here and that's great. In a recent survey of 200 New Zealand, Queensland and Fijian Christian school students. The following two statements were put up before them. They had many more statements to answer, but these two specifically. And let's see if you can come up with a true or a false answer here. There are two statements for you. Two people can define truth in conflicting ways, but both can still be correct. Is that true or false? What's being asked there is, is truth absolute or relative? Is there something like truth? Or does truth depend on which angle you're coming at it from? 43% of those Christian school students said that was a true statement. In America, that percentage was 72%. Second statement other religions can also lead people to God. Is that a true or a false statement? Well, shockingly, of those Christian school students, 34% of them said that's a true statement. You see, our thinking as Christians and as believers is being changed by this postmodernistic world that we're living in. And as we saw last week, or last time we met around this passage, verse 13 said. That wrong thinking leads to wrong actions. If you're thinking the wrong thoughts, you're going to result in the wrong actions. And the question we're going to come up with this morning is, how then are we to think and to live today, in 2010, before God our Father? How are we to think and live before Him? And we need to start again with with verse 13, but I'm not going to give you another sermon on verse 13. We're just going to recap on what we looked at. Because it is so important, it's the anchor or the framework from which we're going to step into verse 14 this morning. Verse 13, the Apostle Peter reminded us that we are to set our hope, that which we hope on in our hearts, fully on the grace that will be revealed to you or brought to us, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the anchor point or framework of the rest of our living. You see, our hope is to be set on something outside of ourselves, not inside of ourselves. Our hope is to be set on God Himself and His grace to us. You see, God and His grace is outside of our circumstances. God is not affected by our circumstances. And therefore, we can set our hope on Him and His grace. And we were reminded that our hope is to set fully on Him. Not partially on my own strengths and my own abilities, but fully on God and what He can do for me and what He has done for me in the past. And you see, right at this place, in this message this morning, here's the gospel call to you if you're not a believer. Because outside of Christ, there is no hope for you in this life or for the next life. Outside of Christ, there is no hope. The Gospel call comes out to you, young people, and to the oldest person here. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no hope for you. You must find your hope in Him this morning. And for those of us who are believers here this morning, how are we to set our hope on Jesus Christ? We saw that we are to set our eyes on God. And by, by, me, by, by that I mean, we, when we say we set our eyes, when we go through life, we have to look to God and what He wants us to do and what He has done for us in our lives. And that is to be the motivation that takes us through this life. The Apostle Peter reminded us that we have to prepare our minds for action. What action? God's work in us. We have to prepare our minds for that, Much as an athlete prepares him or herself, just before a competition they really go through those motions they tie down those loose thoughts they concentrate on what they're going to be doing the task at hand and then they get into the competition much like a soldier who prepares himself for battle he knows where he's going and he's prepared for it so that he doesn't go in unprepared and get wounded we are to discipline our minds to focus on what is important in this life what is that? The principles of God's Word we've just looked at. The Apostle Peter also reminded us that part of that was to get rid of all the wrong thoughts in our minds and to disentangle ourselves from the way the world thinks. You know, it's so easy to start thinking like the world thinks about things. But God says, no, think my thoughts about life around you. Don't start thinking like the world around you because then you're going to get it wrong. And wrong thinking leads to wrong actions. We were reminded by the Apostle Peter that we are to use God's Word as the filter of what comes into our minds. That's why we're to read God's Word. That's why we're to learn these memory verses. We are to fill our minds with God's Word so that we can filter what comes into our minds. And not just that, we can allow God's Word to change our minds as well. To change us to be like our God. We have to deliberately fill our minds with God's Word. Not just accidentally, once every now and then, once a week maybe, but deliberately to fill our minds with God's Word. We have to memorize it and then seek to apply it in our lives. And then, as a result of that, we take that and then we serve God with what we've heard and lived. Warren Wearsby said it like this. He summed it up so beautifully and succinctly. Listen to these words. Ask yourself, is this true of me? It is good to know the Word of God, but this should help us better know the God of the Word. Isn't that well put? Yes, we can know God's Word, but are we getting to know the God of the Word? And how do we get to know Him? By applying His Word in our lives and then by serving Him. That's how we get to know Him. The Apostle Peter reminded us too, in verse 13, that we are to be sober-minded. He reminded us that we are involved in a spiritual battle daily. And if you're a believer here today, you'll know that. It's not easy to be a believer. It's not easy to be a Christian. There is a spiritual battle on. And the Apostle reminded us that we are to not to get intoxicated by the world's sinful system around us and those bright, sparkly, glittery things that surround us in this world, in this temporary existence, but that we have to remain alert as a soldier going into a battle situation and to be clear-minded as we face our lives. And so said the Apostle Peter, if you are setting your hope fully on Christ and you are living in anticipation of His coming again, Then, says the Apostle, you will live holy lives before God as obedient children before Him. So that was the background. That was the anchor point. That was the framework around which we're now going to step into verse 14. Because if you haven't got your heart prepared, there is no way you can live as an obedient child as we'll see now in verse 14. As the Apostle comes to verse 14, he starts speaking the second word there is the word obedient in my version over here. He says, as obedient children. Now those two words imply two things. The one is that I'm a child, and that means I must have a father. And he reminds us here that we have a heavenly father. And the second thing is that he speaks about obedience. And this will be his theme right through until the end of chapter 2, verse 3. He's going to be speaking about various aspects of obedience. And today is the first one, holy living before our God. He is our Father. And as our Father, He expects us to live as His children. And Peter uses two commands here. It's said it's in the imperative, two commands. There's a negative command and a positive command. And by them, he uses... He he pulls our attention to living holy lives before God. You see, because living before God and living holy lives before God demands change in us. There is no way we can live as Christians in this life and not change. If you're still the same now as you were 16 years ago spiritually, you really need to question whether you've been born again. If you look back on your life and you cannot see a progression, question whether you've been born again. Don't be deceived into thinking you're a believer and you're not. Make sure before the Lord. Because God says, if we live before Him, we will change. Otherwise, we would have all been born like Jesus Christ. But God changes us to be like Christ. And that happens over our lifetimes. So what's this negative command that He uses? Verse 14 says, firstly they look in your Bibles, it says, Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. He's speaking here to obedient children. Literally, the text says children of obedience. That's very important that we note this. You see, his argument and his logic is simple. Children inherit the nature of their parents. You'll know that, and that's good or bad. All right? Sometimes you see yourself and your children and it's scary. Children inherit the nature of their parents. God is holy. Therefore, as His children, we should live holy lives. You see the logic? You see, the exhortation from the Apostle is not that God's children be obedient. Listen to this. This is crucial. He says, you mustn't be children who are obedient, but your conduct is to be as though is those in whom the spirit of obedience lives. Do you get the difference there? There's a difference there. You see, this obedience we're speaking about this morning might be different to any obedience you've ever heard of before. Because generally we think obedience equals keeping to rules. But what the Apostle Peter here is saying is much deeper than that. He's saying, no, obedience isn't about keeping to rules. Obedience is about who you are. As a person inside, living out this holiness. You see, it's who you are, not what you do, that's important. So, an example of a a, a, a car a car engine. I've got a beautiful car, all right, and I want to change the engine. I want to take away this petrol engine that I've got, and I want to be nice and um, green about it. I want to put an electric motor into it, and so I change everything inside of it. The outside might still look the same, but this car has had a change of heart, hasn't it? It's now got a completely different system working inside of it. So on the outside it looks the same, but it's completely different inside. Its very nature's changed. Are you a child of God this morning? Your very nature has been changed. Do you get that difference? You are not the old person you used to be. God has made you completely new from inside. Your very nature has been changed. No longer do you have your condemned and your fallen nature, which was yours. But you now have a new nature. You now have a spirit-indwelt nature. Have you ever thought of that? The Holy Spirit, the God who made everything, is living inside of me. I have a spirit-indwelt nature. My nature now has a new focus because I'm looking with a complete new engine inside of me. I've got a whole new focus in life and my focus is to obey my Creator, the God who is living inside of me. We are now children of obedience. That's what the Apostle Peter said. You see, a different style of life is asked of us if we have a new nature. I no longer expect that car that's had the engine transplant, I no, no longer expect my car with this electric motor to belch out smoke anymore, to use a whole lot of oil and to pump carbon monoxide out into the environment, do I? It's had a change of nature. It's completely new. You see, obedience characterizes every true child of God. I'll repeat that again. Obedience characterizes every child of God. If you're a child of God, next question, are you obedient? The two go together. Because if you don't, the the Bible has a name for that too. You're called a son or a daughter of disobedience. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2. John Calvin summed it up as only he can. Listen to this. He said, though obedience does not make us children get the difference here. Obedience does not make us children, yet it distinguishes children from aliens. You see, you can keep to all the holy rules you want to in life, but if you haven't had the heart transplant, there is no way that you can be obedient to God. Doesn't matter how many rules you keep to. Isn't that what the rich young ruler tried to tell Jesus? But Lord, I've kept all these holy rules. I've done every single one of them. Jesus said, Don't give away that idol of your heart and then come and serve me. And he couldn't do that because his heart hadn't been changed. Obedience is the inevitable result of salvation. And here's the hard question. If you don't see obedience in your life to God, are you saved? Ask yourself that hard question. Am I saved? There's a follow-up question there. It's, How do I know whether I'm being obedient? Okay, Calvin, I've I've read this now, I accept that. But how do I know whether I'm being obedient now? How can I make sure that I'm being obedient to God's Word? Well, the Apostle carries on in this text. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed. I'm analysing this this morning because it's so important. He says, do not be shaped by, depending on which version you're reading there, do not be shaped by or moulded by or fashioned after the passions of your former ignorance. You see, he warns you of the danger of being spiritually passive. You know, I meet so many Christians who say, I'm a Christian. And I say to them, do you read God's Word? Have you seen any change? No, no, no. But I ask, I've said that prayer, and God changed me and I'm just going through life now. They're passive. You see, here's a danger that the Apostle Peter is pointing out to us. He's saying, don't be molded by or shaped by what? Your former passions. You see, without us wanting to do anything, if we just sat dead still in life, life out there would shape us. The sinful world would shape us. Without us being trying, without us even trying, we are being shaped by this outside force working in on us. There is no neutrality in the Christian life at all. You're either progressing or you're regressing. It's one of two things. There's no standing still. No, you can't go through life just doing whatever you feel like doing in life. There is progression or regression, says the Apostle Peter to us. Turn with me, if you would, to the Apostle Paul and what he had to say about this in Romans. The book of Romans Chapter six, Romans chapter 6, verses 12 to 14. These are crucial verses to us this morning. This is what the Apostle Paul had to say. Romans 6, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin, As instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, here's a beautiful word, but under grace. you see what the Apostle Paul is also saying? If you don't actively withstand sin in your life, if you don't actively withstand what the world is telling you to do, you will be shaped by the world's mould. says the Apostle Peter here. It's a bit like clay. If you've ever taken a ball of clay and you put it into a mould, which shape gets taken up? The shape of the clay or the shape of the mould? Which one is it? The clay takes on the shape of the mould. It's not often that you'll see that the mould will take on the shape of the clay. It's not the nature of clay. And it's not the nature of a mould. Romans 12 verse 2 says it this way. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mould. But let God, listen to this, let God remould your minds from within you see the word mould there and remould? So It's so important here. The Apostle Paul in this passage is saying, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its shape at once, but rather let God form a whole new mould inside of you and let, and let Him shape you to His mould in your spirit. So there is moulding happening here, but let it be from inside as God changes you and not from outside as the world squeezes you. Now, here's the hard question. Do a little bit of self-analysis for yourself this morning. Do you want to know whether you are being moulded by the world or being shaped by God? Here's a test for you. The evidence lies in your daily actions and thoughts. Now, think. Do a little bit of introspection. What do I constantly do every day? What do I think about all the time? How do I think about things? What do I spend my time and my money on? What are my priorities in life? When you get that answer, that will tell you whether you're being moulded by the world or shaped by God. We need to be honest with ourselves. What is the world's mould that the Apostle Peter is speaking about? Well, he clarifies further on in this verse. He says, Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. There are two things here. He says, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Two things. These passions or lusts that he he speaks about, these are are characterized by the following. Sinful desires, thoughts, evil longings, uncontrolled appetite, sensual impulsiveness and other unrighteous motivations that compel us through life as unbelievers. Those things drive the unbeliever. I've been speaking to a guy that I'm counselling this past week and he says as he was coming out of this world it's so clear to him now how he was driven by these things. Those were the main things pushing him through this life. His longings, his uncontrolled appetites, his sensual impulsiveness, just doing what came to mind. Unrighteous motivations, those things drove him. There was nothing else. And as he's now come from a state of sin into a state of grace, he now sees it so clearly. Tell me this morning, as a believer, I'm speaking to believers now, are you still ruled by your passions? Those unchecked appetites, constantly wanting things, sexual lusts, swinging moods. Are you one of those, don't speak to me until I have had my first cup of coffee, people? I speak for myself. You see how quickly we slip back into old ways? The Bible describes this way of living as a lifestyle associated with your former ignorance. That is, before you're born again. He says, don't go back there, says the Apostle Peter. Immediately, a question comes up: Ah, so you Christians, you guys just wear black and don't smile, right? Does that mean I can't enjoy life? Does that mean I can't enjoy good food? Does that mean I can't be sexually fulfilled? Does that mean I can't buy things I like? No, doesn't mean that at all. But it says you mustn't devote yourselves to those things. It mustn't. You mustn't make them your idol. You mustn't find your fulfillment in those things. Your whole goal in life shouldn't be just to look after number one. That shouldn't be your sole driver in life. As is proclaimed by so many adverts around here, you just switch on the TV. What do they talk about? Get this, get that, do this, do that. All for who? Number one, you. The marketplace tells you to do that. The media drive you to it. Peter says, secondly, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. What's he talking about here? Is, is, saying about, is speaking about the unsaved people who lack spiritual intelligence and spiritual insight. Now, I'm not insulting people who don't know the Lord. I'm saying they don't have spiritual intelligence. They don't have spiritual insight. They might be the most clever astronomer this earth has ever seen, but if they don't know the Lord, they have zero spiritual intelligence. They don't understand the things of God. They haven't been given that understanding. The Apostle Peter says, don't go back to those times. What does that look like in in a believer? You know those times when you know a lot about God and you start resting back in knowing about God and knowing His Word and you can recite Psalm 23 off by heart and you think, that's it, I can do this? Peter says, don't rest back in your knowledge and think that will save you. It will never save you. That's a warning sign that you're returning back to your ways of ignorance, thinking that my knowledge will save me. It's not. That work of grace has to be the main focus in your heart. You see, we would still be in that sad, spiritually black state if it weren't for God calling us through His grace. It's all of God. There was a day that He gave us new life. He removed those scales from us. He gave us spiritual intelligence Suddenly, we could see the way we used to live, and we'd ask ourselves, Why did I do this? God has given us new insight. There was that day when we were able to see the beauty of God's grace at work in us. We were able to start that process of coming from the way we used to live into a new way of living before God. And the Apostle says, We were put into the holy way of life. He says, Don't go back to your ways of ignorance. So that's the negative command. He says, don't be conformed to your passions, to your ignorance. Secondly, he says, there's a positive command here, a do command. He says, be holy, verse 15. Look in your text. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behaviour. You see, as believers we've been called. We were called out of darkness into His marvellous light, says First Peter 2 verse 9. God has brought about His miracle of life in us. But it doesn't just stop there. Once you're in the boat of Christianity, it doesn't just stop there. There's something else that has to happen now. He says, God is calling you to Himself. Your Father is saying to you, My child, come to Me now. Learn from Me now. Be like your Father, says the Apostle Peter. Literally, He says, Pattern yourselves after your father. What do we do with patterns, ladies, when you've got a a dress pattern? Alright? The whole idea is that you would follow the directions, cut along those edges, put the thing together as it says you will, so that when you've finished putting it together, you will have an exact replica of the original. Now, usually that works. Well, if you follow the instructions, unlike me, we come up with all kinds of interesting things, because we don't follow the pattern. The Apostle Peter is here saying to us, follow the pattern of living holy lives before your Father as He is the Master. Look at your Father and be like Him. You see, we are to be set apart for God's exclusive use and purpose, not our own. Holiness involves a separation, a being set apart from evil and setting apart to A life of righteousness. You get that picture? We are taken from unrighteousness and taken, separated from that and set apart to do good. Set apart to our Father. You see, there's no such thing as secular and sacred in our lives. Have you ever caught yourself thinking like that? Oh no, this is Christian and this is like my normal life. There is no secular and sacred in our lives. It's all one. It's either glorifying God or it isn't. That's the hard thing. Because so often we're thinking, well, I can kind of do this. It doesn't glorify God, but it's not bad. No. If it doesn't glorify God, then don't do it. We've really got to think hard about our lives before Him. We need to pattern ourselves after God. Why? Because if something cannot be done to the glory of God, then should I be doing it at all? Maybe I should err on the side of caution and not do things that can't give God glory. We need to live holy lives. You see, action is called for here. Remember in verse 13, it's calling us to spiritual action. Well, here's the result of that. Here's the action. Take control of your life and don't do those things that don't glorify God. There's some action for you. How do we do that? On our own? No. Only with God's help can we take this action. Why? Why? Because we are His child. Our Father will give us that ability to do that. John Piper said it like this. He said, make war on your sin. Make war on it. Don't be light with it. Make war on your sin. The danger is not from outside. It's from inside. you see that? Be holy, says the apostle. Why are we to do that? Because our text says, God has commanded us to do so. Verse 16 says, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You see, there's authority here. It is written. Peter quotes here directly from the Old Testament law to back up his admonition. It is written in God's law, says the Apostle. Therefore, you can do it. You see, he uses Scripture as his authority. What did Jesus do when he was tempted by Satan? Satan. He used scripture to push off Satan. He said, it is written. And then he gave him scripture. And Satan fled from the Lord. And if Jesus could use use the authority of God's word to drive away Satan, so may we to drive away sin in us. We can also say, it is written. And therefore I must act like this. But that means we've got to know God's word. I I feel like I sing the same song all the time here. We need to know God's Word. Do you see the importance of it? If If we don't know God's Word, how are we going to drive away sin? How are we going to get rid of it in our lives? How are we going to live holy lives before God? We haven't got the instruction manual inside of us. And not just knowing Scripture, we must accept Scripture's authority. It's one thing to know Scripture, it's another thing to put yourself under it and to accept what it says in your life. And accept it as the final authority in your life too. You might, ex- you might accept the authority of God's Word in your life. Is that seen in the way you live? That'll be the proof of it. Because if you cannot put yourself under the authority of God's Word, you cannot live a holy life before God. And then it goes from accepting the authority of God's Word as Scripture to applying Scripture in our lives. You accept scripture as their final authority? Are you willing to live your life the way God wants you to live it? Immediately, I hear excuses coming up because I hear them from myself. Ah, but my relationship with my husband or wife is in turmoil and I want to get out. Things are just too hard and I just don't know how much more I can take. Is that what you're saying? That means God's word doesn't apply to you? It is written obey God's word. but it's, my finances are in jeopardy and I have to take shortcuts to survive. You don't understand. It is written, obey God's word first. but it's easier just to go with the flow, teenagers, and to do what everyone else around me is doing and to say whatever they're saying, think the way they're thinking, and even as church, to do what other churches are doing. It is written, obey God's word first. Oh, but Calvin, you don't understand. I constantly fail. I keep on sinning. I do those things I don't want to do. I'm saying to you here, my brother, my sister, bring your failure to God. Bring it to Him. He's your Father. Ask Him for forgiveness. He has promised to forgive you. Where? In His Word. It is written. Obey God's Word. Live a holy life before Him. What's your motivation for that? Because God is your Father. You see, Peter quotes here from Leviticus 11.44, You shall be holy because I am holy. And what he's doing here, he's putting us back onto God's character himself. What is God's character of holiness like? God says, I am holy. What does that mean? It it means that by his very nature, by his very nature, God is pure and he cannot be, Tolerate any sin before Him. There's no bigger sin or smaller sin before God. Sin is sin to God. He cannot tolerate any of it. It all brings down the full wrath of God. God delights in things that reflect His moral character and He hates what is contrary to His character and He calls us now to imitate Him, to pattern our lives on Him, to be holy because He is holy. We have to imitate Him. Here's our biggest comfort in this whole passage. And I want you to listen to this. If, if you haven't been paying attention, if you've forgotten everything else, please listen to this. Wake up your neighbour if you need to. But listen to this. Here's your comfort in this. It's not about obeying rules in the Christian life. Here it is. Our holiness does not depend on what we can do and how good we can be but on the very nature of God Himself. Just let that sink in. Our holiness does not depend on what we can do and how good we can be, but on the very nature of God Himself. God has put His nature in us. And we look back to our Father for our sustenance and for the change in us. You see, the impossible standard set by God can be met because God is meeting that standard with Himself, in us. So you're feeling alone? Here's strength for you today. The Holy God is in you and He can help you to live a life which is holy before Him because He is doing it in you. Jesus said, and that's why we read those verses earlier in John, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides, that means to live and camp out. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So tell me, are you trying to live your Christian life by obeying rules? It's not going to work. Unless you've got God working that in you. The obedience comes from inside. You see, here's our hope of victory. When we set our hope fully on God, on His grace, when we get our minds ready for action, when we strive to be obedient to His word and so live lives that that are holy before God, He makes us holy before Him. You see, we are God made, not man made. If you're a Christian here and you're trying to keep to rules to be good before God, you are man made. We need to be God-made. He does the work inside of us. We can't do it on our own. Yes, you are involved 100% before God. Does that mean you can now say, okay, God is doing this and that means I can just go through life. No. It's 100% us working, but 100% God working in us too. Get that. God is shaping us into the pattern of His Son. He is making us holy. So you want a pattern to live your life by? Here it is. Can you put up that last slide please? Here they are. It's not a secret formula. God has said it in His Word. He said, this is the pattern for holy living. Set your hope firstly, fully on His grace and on Christ's reappearing. You're running a checklist in your life? Have you done that? Is your hope set on him? Live in anticipation of his return. That'll give you urgency in your life. Otherwise you're gonna cruise through and nothing is gonna be urgent at all for you in the Christian life. Secondly, get your mind ready for action. There's something you need to do is get your mind ready for action, God's action in your life, and then your action as you live this life. How do I do that? By using God's word as the filter for my mind. And by using the word inside me as it changes me, by filling my mind. Thirdly, by living in obedience to God's word. In other words, living under its authority. If God's word says it, then I believe it and I do it. I don't make excuses. It's at all costs Christianity this. I will obey God, whatever He might say. Yes, it might get uncomfortable for me. Yes, I might go through hardship but I am willing to put myself under the authority of God's word at all costs. That's what God is calling us to here. Fourthly, bring your conduct or your conversation into line with being children of obedience. In other words, let your new nature take hold of you and work in you. God has put it there. Don't carry on belching out old smoke and using up lots of oil. Because that's going back to the way you used to live. Fifthly, Rely on your on your sorry Rely for your strength on the unchanging character of God and His Holy Spirit, not your own. You cannot get through this life on your own. God must do it in and through you. And then serve Him with your time. Serve Him with your resources, serving with your energy. When you get up in the morning, it's how can I serve God today? Not it's Monday again and I've got to go to work. You see, we need to stop going through the motions of being believers. And we so quickly get caught up in that, the motions of being a Christian. We need to live active, holy lives before God. No more talk, says the Apostle Peter. Action is called for. You are to be obedient to Him. And as you do that, take comfort. It's not up to you and how you are obedient to God's Word. It's up to God in you working through and in you and He will make you more like His Son. It is written to leave His Word and then look to the Lord. Let's go out from this week and as you walk through those doors don't say, well, that's another sermon I can carry on with the rest of my normal life now. No. Let's go and live holy lives before God in His strength, not our own. Let's come together after this as we have a cup of tea. Let's encourage each other in the walk. How can I help you? In what way can I come over and help you? Is there some way that I can support you? Let's live this life together as God works in and through us. Let's be energetic with His energy as we serve Him. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. It's it's Your precious, breathed out Word to us, Lord. And we don't just want to have these words in a book. We want to have these words in us, changing us. Because You've said that Your Word is like a double-edged sword. It cuts to the wick. It cuts out the sin in our lives and it cuts us into the shape that You want us to be. And Lord, we pray that as we go into this week and we face our colleagues at work, as we face our fellow students at school, that we will remember that we're either being moulded by this world or that we are being changed by You. And we need to keep that in mind as we react to our friends, as we speak about whatever comes up in our conversations. We are either being moulded or being changed by You. Lord, may this be the challenge on our hearts this week. And may we live lives that shout out that we've been changed and given new natures. We are now completely new at heart. We've got a new master, our Father, the Almighty God, who is now living inside of us. Lord, may our lives be signposts of what you've done in us. We pray. Amen.